right, all right, all right. Day 33. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the thick of numbers. So Numbers 9 uh, opens up with this second Passover, right? So the people of God took the Passover in Exodus 12, right before they left Egypt. And here in Numbers 9, they're going to take the Passover again, right? And remember that the Passover acted as this memorial celebration um, as the people of God looked back at the deliverance God had gave them out of Egypt, right? Remember this. This was the paradigm event of the Old Testament and what the people place their identity in, right? If someone came up to an Israelite walking down the street, they were like, yo, who are you? We are the ones Yahweh delivered out of bondage, right? And we see here God is going to make these exceptions about um, the clean and unclean and who could take the Passover, including foreigners. And that tells us that, again, hey, God is not this tribal deity, right? He is the God of the Passover. He is the liberating God who frees men and women and children from bondage, right? So further, he's going to also talk about in nine, he says, yo, this cloud that filled the temple is the same cloud that is going to go before you. When it fills the temple, when it comes back into the temple, that's when y'all stop, right? When it goes out before you, right, that's when you keep it moving. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. And the whole point is this, the same God that they could trust to save them is the same God. God that they could trust to guide them, right? And it's the same is true for us. We are in the wilderness, right? And and so um but so is he, right? We are in the wilderness, but so is he. And it would be illogical for them to depend on their God for deliverance, but not to depend on him for direction, right? And I want you guys to remember that, right? As we go about our days, as we go about our time, we tend to tend to We tend to uh, depend on the Lord to save us and deliver us eternally, but not to lead us temporally. Right. And the scripture is trying to tell us here, like, no, this is the same God who does both. And so in Numbers 10, we finally get to the point where they actually leave. Right. Where they actually step out and head towards their inheritance. And the crazy thing is here, he's going to say, yo, blow these trumpets, right? So the trumpet was um, had a, a, a ton of functions in ancient Israel, but here it assembled the congregation when it was time to assemble and it worked to tell them when it was time to slide, right? When it was time to keep it moving through the wilderness. And so he tells them about the trumpets. So in Numbers 10, 10, they're off, right? The end of a section, right? In the Bible, uh, uh, ends a section of the bible ends and then a new one begins right so exodus 19 and numbers 10 10 was 11 months right 11 months they were at the foot of mount sinai receiving these instructions for the tabernacle for how they were supposed to move in the wilderness and what god was going to do for them when they got into the land and now they're headed out they depart they are in formation right they were uh headed toward the place god had promised them and even at the end of 10 We have Moses telling his, what many people believe to be his brother-in-law, Hobab, to pull up with him, right? Come with us. God will do for us what he will do for you, right? God will be good to you. So come and join us on this journey, right? God has made these promises to us. 
And we see that even Gentiles, once again, can come and trek on the journey with Israel. So Numbers 11 comes and we see this dramatic fall, right? We see this dramatic uh, turn in the narrative as in 10, they head out. And in Numbers, you're going to see that this, yo, God is going to show us that the wilderness is a place of trials and testing, right? God will test Israel's faithfulness. And Israel, unfortunately, will test his, right? So chapter 11 comes, and like elsewhere, when everything seems to be all good, things take a turn for the worse, right? So at the end of 10, Moses is going to say, hey, God will be good to us. But in chapter 11, they say God has given us adversity. God has not been good to us, right? And this is the first of many rebellions we're going to see, right? They are frustrated because of hardship. And one of the things that you learn in scripture and in life is that adversity can shape character. But what you often find is that adversity reveals character. Right. As soon as something gets difficult, we see where we really are. And again, before we toot up our nose like we aren't them, we have this misconception, too, about our journey with the Lord to the promised land that is supposed to somehow be easy. Right. That is supposed to be easy. And I've listen, I've I've been looking, but I still haven't found that in Scripture. Right. In fact, I found the exact opposite god wants to take us through the wilderness to get us to the promised land this journey is not supposed to be easy now mind you they start complaining about this food and this craving for meat god had been feeding the manna every single day from the palm of his hands and they're like hey we missed the meat we used to have back in egypt right and this is only three days three days into the journey right three days after they left mount sinai right and what you see is this. And what I want to tell what I, what I want to say is that the perks of bondage, hear this, are of no comparison to the pleasures of freedom. Right? They want meat. They want the free food they had before, not realizing something free actually was at the expense of their own freedom. And the crazy thing is, this is what happens today. How many of us know people? How many of us are people are on the verge of leaving or have this desire of leaving the journey and the faith and the people of God behind because of our physical appetites? How many? Right. Physical appetites that were characteristic of their old life, their passions, their cravings for doing the things they used to do is about to lead the people of God off the journey. Right. And Moses is sick. He's like, what? He's like, God, like, God, I don't I don't even know if I'm built for this. Right. These people, these are your people. He blames God. Verse 11. But if you don't help me. It's a wrap for me, right? These folks are complaining and angry and crying, and I can't do it. And it's interesting because um, I think one of the things the text is trying to show us, too, is that we have to be careful of blaming God for what his people did to us, right? 
We have to be careful of blaming God for what his people did to us. And we see the patience of God here because he doesn't rebuke Moses. However, we also, on the other side of that, we have to be um, mindful. If we're one of God's people, we have to be mindful because people could possibly blame God for what you did to them. Right. So we need to guard how we live before the Lord. But God is gracious. He, he sends fire down on the edge of the camp. <laughs> he doesn't consume them. Right. The first time. The fire comes down just on the edge and Moses, you know, complains to the Lord and the Lord sends him elders. He says, yo, I'm going to appoint elders for you. So to share this burden. And so we just see the grace of God over and over. But what you see as well is that this ultimate persistent unbelief leads to judgment. So what happens? God, he says, y'all want meat? Y'all really want meat? Y'all don't want to trust me? I'll give it to you. And I remember I had a mentor in college who used to say um, something to the effect of uh, God loves us enough. Hear this. Not to give us everything we want. God loves us enough not to give us everything we want. We think it's the opposite, that if he loved me, he would give me everything I want and desire. And what the text is showing, right, is that um if we got everything we want, it would destroy us, right? And so what God does here is give us an example of that. The people of God craved this meat so bad, and God gave them what they wanted. He gave them over to themselves, right? God is not in the, in the business of holding people hostage. He gave them to over to themselves, and they received judgment. And ultimately, hear this, the problem with the people of God at this point is that they have a blatant distrust of the plan and provision of God. They have a distrust of the plan and provision of God. And the question for us is, will we be content? Hear this. Will we be content with God's provision and his plans? Or will we seek to provide for ourselves outside of his will and make and chart our own course and plan for our lives and for eternity, right? This stuff is serious. And so they complain about the food. In Numbers 12, guess what? They start complaining about the leaders, right? We've seen the complaints, the complaints of the people in 11, and then 12, we have other leaders complaining about the leader, actually, Moses. And make it so bad, it's his sister and his brother, <laughs> right? The Israelites are now turning against the leadership, right? It is Moses or excuse me, it is Aaron and Miriam, and they're going to use this ethnic diversion to get at him like, yo, oh, we really ain't rocking with you because you're marrying a Cushite woman. But it really is that they are jealous, right? They're jealous. They want to be the main spokesperson to the people of God. They want to hold a, a position of power and authority and influence. And another symptom of folks in the wilderness is not that just not just that we have these uh, sinful cravings of our old life, but also that we have these um, unfounded challenges and critiques of leadership, right? And they question in the unfounded questioning of authority, right? And in the last chapter, Moses is going to in intercede for the people. And so God delays his judgment. But here, God is going to intercede for Moses, right? And the text is so crazy because Moses, hear this, Moses 
Throughout the larger narrative of scripture, we know is this paradigm prophet in Israel, the deliverer of the Old Testament, who provided the, the seminal event, who got used to provide the seminal event of the Exodus. And we see this, that this leader <laughs> that everybody turned against, hear this, not to, you know, not to, um, not to the point of death, but they turned against and wanted, wanted him to not be who he was. So they could be who he was, right? We see that God comes through and vindicates him, right? He vindicates him. He puts the, the disease on Miriam, right, before they leave out. And he comes through and steps in for Moses. And what I want to say is this, right, in the wilderness, that the Lord Jesus came to earth to lead his people to the promised land, the inheritance. And guess what we did? We killed him. We crucified him. Right. And if you say, hey, I went there in the first century, folks killed him. Your sin did. Your sin put him on the cross. And what does God do? He vindicates the Lord Jesus by raising him up from the dead. So the people of God can still track on the way to their eternal reward and inheritance. And I want to say this, the graciousness of God here to still allow them to keep moving is the same grace we need today. When we complain when we turn against the Lord, we can ask for his forgiveness because of he because of what he did to his only, one and only son. And we can receive it uh, by faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, you would help us to remember the provision you've provided for us, the plan you've laid out for us, God, and help us to not go against it. I pray for grace today to trust in the son whom we've all turned against and you somehow vindicated through his resurrection of the dead. I pray that we will make it to the promised land. Keep us faithful. Help us to not test your faith.